You're listening to Sound the Foghorn, the Minnesota Wild podcast made by fans for fans. For Kaprizov, back to Zuccarello, back to Kaprizov, he scores! Covering team news, prospect analysis, game-by-game breakdowns, advanced stats, and much more. Back to Kaprizov, he scores! And now, here are your hosts, Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyat, and Justin Baki. Hello, and welcome in to another episode of Sound the Foghorn. Thursday, December 8th, Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyat, and Justin Baki. Back here with you to recap an absolutely chaotic week of Minnesota Wild hockey from the prospects all the way down to the the last couple games this team has played. It's been a wild week. We are looking forward to breaking everything down for you on today's episode. But as we always do, got to check in with everyone, see how they're doing. Justin, we'll go to you first. Uh, doing well. Just uh, <clears throat> it's my busy work week, so you know, between that and the kids' sports, just always running. But uh, doing well, um, doing well other than the loss the other night. But uh, yeah, no complaints. Good week so far. Zeke, what about you? Yeah, not not much. Just been uh, you know working and hanging out. Uh, obviously watching games the last couple of days. But uh, you know, sitting here with a nice hot tea here at night, ready to do the podcast with you guys. Uh, so should be a good time. Yeah, and this is basically my Friday. No work tomorrow for me. GTO. So what a great way to kick off the weekend and to talk some wild hockey. Uh, So let's go right into – it's been a pretty busy week for the prospects, some big weeks for a few of the prospects. We're starting to see uh, World Junior um, rosters and camp invitees pan out. So plenty to get to, Justin. We will let you take the reins and let us know what's going on. Sounds good. I will start with Caden Bankier, who is just a madman in <clears throat> Kamloops this year. Um, had seven points in three games this past week, and then last night picked up a couple more, uh, scored his 20th goal of the season. I believe it's 20 goals in 27 games so far, so uh, really stepping up in that role first line. Sometimes he's on the second line, but uh, most of the time he's playing line one for Kamloops, so I'd uh, love to see him stepping up. He was also one of the two players named... Uh, Canada's uh, preliminary roster, him, and it was, uh, remind me. Lambos. Lambos, I thought so. <clears throat> I had to scroll a little bit. <laughs> I'm kind of going off the page today. So, um, Yeah, so uh, good news there. And then Jack Pert had a five-point week, two games, uh, played really well against North Dakota. St. Cloud ended up coming back against them uh, in the second game. Um played a part in that uh, also ended up being named to usa's preliminary roster so we know at least three players that will be at the world juniors now um at least on the preliminary rosters <clears throat> then hunter hate had four points in two games uh tonight he has two more points and since the trade to saginaw he has 10 points in three games and two periods one period to go in the game he's uh currently playing against his former team but uh just 
kind of having the season that we thought he was going to have uh, yeah. with Sagan out here. He now has more points, more points in, in what would that be, 11 periods than he had in 20 games with Barry. <laughs> so uh, we talked about the Hunter Hate breakout. We were just like 20 games early on it. It's coming yeah. now. It seems to have really found a home in Saginaw. So hopefully, you know, is three points per game, you know, two and a half points per game sustainable? In the CHL? Yes, it has happened before. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. It should be really exciting to see what uh, Hunter Hate can continue to do here. Yeah. Uh, something else I forgot to add about uh, Bank here. He's uh, currently sitting third in goals in the WHL. So uh, I forgot this guy in second place, but uh, uh, first place is none other than uh, Connor Bedard. So yeah, no one catching he's in him, some good so. company. <laughs> What's that? I said, yeah, no one's catching him. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh-uh. I don't think so. <laughs> um, Rossi had a good uh, – couple games uh, and then a couple games he hasn't gotten a point but you know we saw him get three points in that first game with Iowa I think we already talked about that that might be a little behind here but um today uh Yurov ended up on the first line for Metalurg or Magnagorsk I don't know how to pronounce the name of the team and then uh Huznadinov was also on the first line for SKA so uh we're starting to see these Russians get get Top line minutes, which seems to be, it's like it's they end up being extra forwards and then top line and then fourth line. It's just kind of bouncing all over the place. But Kuznadinov uh, has been playing really well. Picked up an assist today, and now he's got 23 points in 40 games. When for a while there, he was, you know, kind of playing fourth line. Got the A pulled from him a while back, and uh, it's it's just good to see him picking things back up. Uh, from what I haven't been able to watch his games, but from what I've Red was people that have watched him. He's looking really quick and, and really good. So, um, love to hear it out of the piss missile that his wheels are going. So, um, yeah, other than that, Iowa lost six to two the other night. Uh, not a very good game, but you know, can't win them all, <laughs> right? And then, uh, yeah, I think that's it for the prospect update this week. Yeah, and then the others, I think, that were named to World Junior teams, Jack Peart for Team USA, which is really no surprise, and Liam Ugrin uh, for Team Sweden. And then I don't know if um, is it the Czechs have released theirs yet, but I would assume Servak Petrovsky will be on that roster as well. Yeah. I'm um, sure David Spacek will be. Yes, yeah. he's Slovakia, yeah. Yeah. I think. First, you check, too. I, I don't know. It's it's one of those two countries. Yeah, I think Servak, Slovakia. Yeah, and then yeah. is Spacek the Czechia maybe? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 But they should but be on their teams as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's the prospect update. Great week for a lot of guys. Um. Great to see guys like Bankier, Hate. You know, some of these guys. You know, who kind of were unknowns coming into the year, starting to really heat up. Bankier. Really, really starting to come on this year and coming to his own and looking like, you know, there's could be some legitimate NHL upside there for him and hate looking like the player that we saw um, in training camp and that we, you know, thought was poised for a breakout uh, coming in this year. Hate a second-round pick um, in the most recent draft, and Bankier, I believe, was a third-round pick? Yeah. 21. Two years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, great to see them heating up. Um Transitioning over now, it was a absolutely crazy week um, for the Minnesota Wild. Just you know, it, it's games that would you know just give you a heart attack watching some of them. 
We'll start with the one that really felt like the Wild were in control for most of it. Uh, that was a week ago against the Edmonton Oilers. Um, arguably one of the Wild's almost complete wins of the season. Score Final score, 5-3, but Edmonton's third goal, basically a garbage time goal with like 45 seconds left or yeah. something in the game. Um, but just a great effort in this one. They got scoring up and down the lineup. Um, looking for my recap here. Somewhere. There it is. Um, they get three points from Kirill Parisov, a goal and two assists, two points from Zuccarello. They get a goal from Freddie Goudreau, points from Matt Boldy. John Merrill put in two assists from the blue line. Marc-Andre Fleury, um, you know, take away that, that last goal, had a pr pretty good night overall. Erickson Eck was a menace in this one again, two points. Um, just one of those games where I felt like all the Wild's best players really stepped up, rose to the occasion. Um, Erickson Eck... Um, really shut down Marcus Foligno. We were talking about the, or excuse me, Eric Sinek really shut down Connor McDavid um, and Leon Dreisaitl. We talked about, you know, how that, how, you know, what are the Wild going to do um, without Jonas Brodeen? And uh, the answer was, which here's cheers, Joel Eric Sinek. Good luck. Um, ac accident, ac ac completely, completely put him in check. So, uh, really good game overall from the Wild against a good Edmonton team. Um, the advantage they maybe had on this one that they won't have tomorrow night uh, when they face off is the Wild are coming off essentially a four-day break. Edmonton was playing their second of back-to-backs, um, having just played Chicago the night before, um, and also were playing uh, Jack Campbell and Nett, who's been statistically one of the worst goalies in the NHL this year. But it's good to see the Wild take advantage of those things, come away with the win. Yeah, for sure, and I mean – you know, like you said, obviously the Wild uh, historically, at least recently, played pretty, very well against Edmonton. Um, and, you know, even as we talked about last week with Al Purdy, and they still did, you know, a pretty decent job, even though, you know, McDavid was on the score sheet twice. I mean, that's a, you know, an issue of just the guy's too damn good to really keep off the score sheet, even if you play him really well. You know, the key was that aside from that power play goal, they didn't put him in the power play too many times, I don't think, after that, and, and kind of just, uh, you know, kept them to the one, two on one and the power play goal for most of the game, which is, was obviously the key to win. Cause after that, they're not too great of a team, but you know, as you said, obviously Jewel Erickson, it was obviously, it was, you know, maybe the height of that game was just, you know, very good. Um, I believe, was that the first game that the uh, grief line was back together or was that before? That sounds right. That sounds okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cause it seemed, cause I, I feel like remember everyone talked about how, cause they had uh, not been reunited right away after Greenway was hurt. And, uh, you know, it was the kind of the first time this year that they'd really been back together full time and looked, you know, like we're used to them looking, which is, you know, suffocating uh, hard on the forecheck uh, and really not blowing the team of the team much, which was great to see. But, yeah, no, it was, a, it was a good win, regardless of the fact, like you mentioned, Brett, that, you know, Edmonton was on the second half of back to back. Uh, they still didn't really give them too much of a, you know, chance to get back in that game once. You know, after even though they had gained that two to one lead, Edmonton did, but they didn't really uh, give them much of a chance. They kind of took the life out of them early and took advantage of the situation, which is you know really all you want uh, out of the team is if you got a chance to put a team away, do it, and that's you know that's what they did. Yeah, we mentioned that uh, we don't want to put them on the power play, and you know, kind of initially we we did a little bit in dry side, ended up scoring that power play goal, and then uh, you know killed off the next two penalties that we took. But uh, for the most part, like you guys mentioned, Eck, we, we kind of knew being the home team that that line was going to be against them. And they did a very good job. Like you mentioned, uh, Zeke uh, McDavid got a couple points. But uh, for the most part, we were, uh, played very well, pretty dominant against them. And 
I even scored a couple power play goals ourselves. Uh, Kaprizov ended up with the three points, having a huge game, the better of the 97s. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> it, it just, it's, yeah, we're, we're just, when we play Edmonton, it's, it's, what is the streak now? Yeah, I don't know what the streak is, Justin, against Edmonton, but it's good. The Wild have played really, really yeah. well against them. Um, the other thing, I would, the last thing I wanted to call out on this game before we move on was I thought that was one of Jake Middleton's best games of the year. Like, I don't think there was a lot of it that really showed up on the stat sheet, um, but I was there at the game watching in person, and there were so many plays, especially in the first period, where Middleton took a body, got a stick on a puck, poke-checked a puck away, intercepted a pass, just broke up what like could have been scoring chances, and like notably against the McDavid line on top of it. Like it was plays on McDavid, plays on Dreisaitl, plays on Hyman. Like they're Edmonton's top players. And it was just it seemed like every shift he was breaking up a play. You know, obviously I think the one thing a lot of people remember is there was one bad pinch he had that leads to two on one, um, mm-hmm. where the Oilers get the goal. But I mean you throw out that one, you know, that one miscue, um, and I thought he had a phenomenal game. Um and it's great to see him step up um, in those situations, be able to shut down top talent, be another guy you can lean on. Um, wouldn't you know? I think it makes you a little bit more comfortable going into tomorrow. Hopefully, you get Brodeen back. We'll talk about that. But if you can have mm-hmm. two D pairs, the Eck line, you know, potentially your your Dewar Reeves line, um, Shaw line, you know, able to maybe match up against some of these guys. It, it gives you a little bit more flexibility with what you can do with your with your scoring forward. So that was great to see in that game as well. So following that game, we get into one of the two uh, heart attack games, um, <laughs> if you will. Uh, Saturday nice. against Anaheim, crazy Oof. game, 5-4 shootout win in this one. Um, Kaprizov scores again. The Wild also get goals in this one from Connor Dewar, um, which was a shorthanded goal. Keelan Addison, the power play. Um and as well as, again, from uh, Jewel Erickson X. So uh, another just great game all around. For the most part, the Wild, you know, I think this one where they had the lead, really good first period, kind of a total lapse in the second period where they let the Ducks get, I think, three goals, and then they were down one going late into the third, I think, and that's when I believe it was. Was that when, was that when Kaprizov scored a tight late, I believe? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. forced the overtime, which the Wild controlled most of the possession in that, and then they go into the shootout. Kaprizov, Boldy, I think there was the two. Mm-hmm. Two in that one? Yeah, I think it was Kaprizov, Kaprizov and Boldy. Goudreau, Boldy. Goudreau and Boldy. Yeah, so come through in that one. Wild ultimately escape with kind of an ugly win um, over the Ducks, but again, top line really good in this one. Um, just an absurd, I want to highlight just the game from the Alex Goligoski, Matt Dumba pairing. Um, absolutely insane without points. They pushed Dumba had a 4.26 PCS, Alex Goligoski, a 5.48 to do that without a point is like basically unheard of. Um, for Goligoski, that came by way of a 2.17 5v5 expected goals for on the ice, um, aided by four on the ice for 41 of the wild shot attempts. 24 of their shot on goals or shots on goal. That was just at five on five um, perspective for mm-hmm. the game. So 47 shots. Galagoski's on the ice for 24 of them. So half of the wild shots. Galagoski on the ice for 77 attempts. He was on the ice for 41 of them. So more than half. So just an unbelievably like those two just played the entire. It seems they seemingly played their 
entire games in the offensive zone, um, which which is good because I think we, you know, after that first couple games with Galagoski and Dumbo, we were sitting there kind of going, uh, this isn't great here. Um, not loving this. Um, and they've, I think, really had starting to string together some nice games. We saw, I think we've seen Dumbo get on the score sheet a couple of the times in the last couple of games. So, um, you know, other night it was Middleton Spurgeon. This game it was Galagoski Dumba. Great to see those different guys step up. And, you know, like I said, it wasn't necessarily the, the prettiest win, um, but the Wild rallied late. Kaprizov leads the way. Go to a shootout again. Um, go to a shootout for the first time of the weekend. Get the win. So it was a big one at that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the but the D is that's going to, like I'm sure we'll talk about later, that'll make it a harder choice when Verdine is back. Who's going to come out? Because a lot of them are playing so well. But, you know, I think the thing with Dumba is he's looked last few games – you know, he still has his rough moments defensively, like always, but he's, you know, like you mentioned, it seems like even he hasn't been scoring even a ton of points. He is, you know, playing with the puck more, being more involved. Uh, and, you know, and, you know, essentially, he hasn't really just been a liability like he was in the first, you know, month of the season, which, you know, as everyone, it's been his whole thing. If, you know, if he's, as long as he's involved in the offense and moving the puck and playing with it, you know, you can at least deal with some of the defensive deficiencies. So, it was a that yeah it was a, that's been an encouraging sign the last couple of weeks that he's been able to kind of dig his way out of that hole that he kind of dug himself to start the year. Yeah, I felt like overall in this one we kind of played down to the Ducks level. Um, it was kind of a ugly, mm-hmm. frustrating game to watch at times, but you know those bright spots of Galagoski and Dumba pairing. Um, yeah, and then you know good teams find ways to win, and and we did even with game i mean it was just it was an ugly game all around for the most part but um some of those shootout moves like kaprizov and and like <laughs> you think he's gonna do his backhand and then he does uh flip mm-hmm. his forehand and, and just roofs it he's so so good in every aspect of the game he plays but no um you know special teams is maybe something we need to start uh, looking at again because we allowed you know a couple goals I think the Ducks went two for three on the power play on this one. Our our power play went one for two, but um, I feel like over the last two three games um, we're kind of falling back defensively overall, and and need to find that mm-hmm. defensive game again because uh, we're blowing blowing leads and blowing games, and um, I think we need to shore up defensively overall. Yeah, speaking of uh, blowing leads, uh, that brings us to Sunday against the Dallas Stars in just the most chaotic game I think the wild have played this year. Absolutely crazy. The wild got absolutely curb stomped in the first period of the game. Like hardly Mm -hmm. had the puck in their own zone. Didn't have a lot of scoring chances. Don't remember if they scored in the first period or not. Might've been like one, nothing or one. Yeah. I think a pre-stop got one in the first period, like one, nothing. It's like, Oh wow, we're winning and we're getting stomped. And then all of a sudden the second period rolls around and the wild scored. I think it starts off with a shorthanded goal. Um, from Connor from Dewar. Um, and then that's immediately followed by goals from, uh, I think it was Jordan Greenway and then Middleton. 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 And like all of a sudden it was like four to one. Like the wild is like, what just happened? Like the wild were getting outplayed. All of a sudden they're leading four to one. They eventually extended that lead to five to one with an early goal in the third period, like 30 seconds in. And then I don't know what happened, but just an epic collapse. Uh, the Wild give up four straight goals, um, including three of which hap- ended up being in the game to uh, Rupe Hints. 
uh, it just felt like the you're just holding your breath like the last mm-hmm. like two minutes. Like they they pulled the goal, you scored almost immediately, tied the game. There's like two and a half minutes left, and you're just like, oh fuck, here we go. Like they're gonna they're really gonna get up five third period goals, blow this thing. Goes to overtime. The Wild again in this overtime pretty much controlled the major the majority of the chances. Um, get it to the shootout, and you know really <laughs> shitty goaltending overall. Flurry. Doesn't make a save on three shots. The third shooter misses the net, but the Wild go three for three uh, with Zuccarello, Kaprizov, and then Freddie Goudreau with the game-winning goal. And the Wild get out of it with the two points in a big division game. But, man, it was just like an absolute meltdown, and you were shaking your head like, what just happened? It felt like they were on cruise control, and everything just blew up in front of their face. Thankfully, they were able to come away with the win in the end. Well, I think the you know the thing to note with, obviously, it doesn't – uh, excuse in any way of you know, blowing a five doing lead, but I think Dallas is this has kind of been their MO a little bit this year. I think they, you know, have some of the most comeback wins in the NHL when down by, you know, two or three goals in the third period. And I know it's Chicago, they're not very good, but they had that game where they were down four to one with eight minutes left and ended up winning by two. So it seems like they got a bit of a I don't know, maybe not quick strike or kind of ability where they can score in bunches, especially with the top line. Obviously Jason Robertson was really good, but yeah, no, when they scored to make it 5-2, to two, it just, uh, you know, Lupin had to set it on their podcast with Russo that you just kind of were uneasy because, you know, I don't know, you just, like, like you said, Brett, the Wilds hadn't played very good that whole game. And, you know, you thought, well, you know, there's still 12 minutes left. I mean, this obviously they were going to keep getting chances because they'd been pretty much skating over the Wild that entire game. And, you know, because, up, I mean, up till that point, you know, up until the third period, Flurry was great and probably the reason they were, even able to take that uh, three goal lead in that quick burst. But yeah, no, it was, you could, that was my take was that you could kind of, you kind of felt it coming when they made it five to two. Like this isn't going to be, this isn't going to be a fun last 10 minutes of the game. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I only caught the first period of this one. Um, it was one, nothing after one. And I had to bring my two kids who had hockey back to back. So I didn't get to catch most of it. I went back and watched the shootout and, and, you know, that was good that we <laughs> were able to win that way. But I kept, uh, I was getting my kids ready in the locker room. And I was like, all right, it's five to one. And I looked again, it was five to three. Looked again, five, four. Looked again, five, five. I was like, what the crap is going on? Like, you know, I was, I'm not able to add much <laughs> to this conversation because I didn't watch the last two periods. But uh, what a meltdown. That was almost one of the worst meltdowns in franchise history. Um, uh, thank goodness we came away with the two points. But I, I, it's, yeah. Well, it's frustrating to blow a lead like that in the third period. Speaking of two the... points as well, uh, for the first oh, time in his career, Ryan Reeves Ooh. picked up two assists, yeah. I, and I think they came in about like fifteen seconds. seconds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> just like these, it was like That's this fun. randomly thrown together line. I think of Ryan Reeves, Nick Patan, and Jordan Greenway, like the most nonsensical line you could ever come up with. Like, why there should be no synergy between these three players whatsoever. And they went out and scored like twice in like 10 seconds. Um, mm-hmm. Reeves picks up two assists in this one, finishes the game with 0.45 expected goals for, and a 75% expected goal share at 5v5 on the game, <laughs> on the night. Like, it was a great game from him. Yeah. Um, well, got, yeah, no, got go Brian Suter to throw a cross check at him at the boards. Yeah, and then like Suter complained about it. Like, dude. <laughs> I think he, he like was I could you could like lip read on the broadcast. It was like I was playing the puck, and you like you watch the replay. The puck is like two feet to Reeves' left, and Suter just like two hands on right in the back. It's like 
No, that was pretty obviously a cross check. Like that was no, he was trying to play the puck through Reeves's body. Yeah, I don't know. Like, is, was the puck airborne and you were trying to like stab it with your stick with two hands? Like, I, I don't know. Anyway. No, to be honest, I know we were kind of indifferent about the trade, but he hasn't been too bad so far. Like, yeah, that's what playing with Mason Shaw and Connor yeah. will do for you. They can right. fix anybody. Yes. Yeah, and playing yes. with uh, Felino and Eck at times, he just. Yeah. He's not taking uh, knock on wood dumb penalties. I mean, he doesn't have the greatest foot speed in the world, but he's he's you know making an impact so far in, in the games he's played um, when he's on the ice. For yeah, the most was part. it before the Anaheim game? He delivered like one of the one of the most electric like lineup reads I think that's ever happened oh, yes. in a wild locker yeah. room. Yep. Um, so <laughs> yeah. like, and, and that stuff, you know, we can't measure, right? We can't we can't right. measure the the energy, the intimidation. Um, like I think outside that first game when Felino got like the big misconduct and stuff, like mm-hmm. I think there was one Middleton fight in the Dallas game where I think it was, was it Fox or something that got like all riled yeah. up for like yeah. getting like Middleton laid a really clean hit and it was the mm-hmm. old, oh you got to pay for that hit and like he just kind of fought Middleton and Middleton was like what what the hell man um, <laughs> I I think like out that might be the only fight that's happened since Reeves has joined. Outside the like, there's only been two. The one where Middleton yeah. like had to meaningfully fight, and then Felino yeah. kind of losing his cool a little bit there. Um, so you know, maybe that's a good thing too. Um, and then the final game uh, that was played since we last talked last night, um, not the best effort for the Wild. Start off really strong. They get two quick goals from uh, Kirill Kaprizov and then from Mason Shaw. Um, it's like two goals, like I don't know, like two and a half minutes in the game, and then the Wild didn't really score again until like four and a half minutes left in third period. In between that time, uh, Calgary scored four times, including like three times in about two and a half minutes um, to start the second period. Um, it's just a bummer because it's a great first period from the Wild. They dominated, um, really controlling things at five on five or rolling four lines. Like Calgary hardly even had the puck in the offensive zone. Um, just felt like the Wild were clicking, and then they start to take some dumb penalties. Um, I think John Merrill had one. Matt Dumbo took like a delay a game. I think there was a questionable goal interference call on Jordan Greenway. Um, and there was another one early in the second, and that all just led to momentum for Calgary. They scored three times, go up 3-2, and never really looked back. Um, I think to me that the biggest disappointment was, you know, oh, yeah, that all sucked. And then the Wild, you know, get kind of a, a nice bounce, a, a goal for John Merrill, who had had, in my mind, had a pretty pretty rough game and has had a pretty decent, like, rough stretch of games here. Um, despite, I think, even what some of his analytic numbers show, I just think it feels like his mistakes are really mm-hmm. being magnified and being at, like, the worst possible times. Um, so he gets a goal, ties it up, and then the ensuing shift with Boldy Patan, Goudreau. Um, Goudreau gets, loses a board battle. Patan doesn't pick up a guy on the wing. Middleton, I think, overpinched. Merrill got tied up. Lossig out front. Boldy's trying to cover up. Like, literally all five guys just out of position. And yep. within, like, 30 seconds after tying the game, uh, Calgary scores again, takes the lead, ends up getting the empty netter, win the game. Um, just a bummer because I felt like, oh, well, you know, maybe we'll get this to overtime again, get the point, and um, just a mistake that you can't do there late. Um, you know, veteran guys – um, making some mistakes, losing board battles. And, you know, if that was anyone but Freddie Goudreau, they would see the ice next game. But, you know, there'll be no repercussions for that for Freddie probably. Right. And, yeah, that this was an absolutely frustrating game. It seemed like 
like you said, they played really good in the first. In the second, they looked like dog crap, and and just seemed like once the that first goal went in, they just just kept coming. They couldn't stop them. It's also hard to win a game when you take uh, six penalties, spend basically over half a period in the box, and and uh, allow them to score on two of them while you go over four. Um, you know. The two goals they got on the power play was basically the two goals that they won by. Um, yeah, and like you said, it was, it was frustrating to, you know, you get Merrill tying the game, you get excited, and then 12 seconds later they come down and score, and it's over from there. And um, You know, it's it was frustrating with how well they played in the first because if they played that way the whole game, that, that would have been a, a win for sure. Um, you can't do what ifs, mm-hmm. but that was uh, – uh, kind of a tale of two teams in that game. Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned the power plays, Justin, we were talking in our group chat, basically said that, you know, with Calgary getting the three calls the first period that you're going to get some, and they got three that next second period, I think. And, I mean, really it was just mm-hmm. – I mean, it was just the kind of game where they felt like they were just slapping the puck around. Like, you know, you, if you'd be in their own zone, they'd slap it out to center ice, the other team would get it, jump back in, or they, you know, just – you know, passes bouncing off sticks, whatnot, not even just in the power play, just in general. Just, you know, didn't obviously, you know, it's, it's obvious, but they just didn't, uh, weren't able to really put anything together. And, uh, but, you know, like, like you guys said, that was the, well, probably the most, ag- I mean, it's just, it was just aggravating because you saw him play so well for, you know, the first, even 10 minutes of that game, uh, most of the first period. And, you know, he just, you know, I mean, usually when you take penalties like that, as you guys said, it'll hurt you. So it's uh, just too bad the discipline kind of let him down there. Yeah, special teams let him down. Um, penalty kills struggle a little bit, but you know, mm-hmm. the penalty kills been better. Power plays been better. You're not going to have your A game every single night. It's going to happen. Right. Um, but just some other key takeaways, kind of from this trip. You know, be remiss if we didn't, you know, continue to talk about Kirill Kaprizov broke some franchise records last game. I believe it's now seven straight games of the goal. That broke a franchise record of six, um, and now has a point streak of 13 games, which I believe is the longest ever in franchise history. Is also the second longest active point streak in the NHL behind Mitch Marner, who I believe is playing as we speak. Yeah, he's got a point tonight. Yeah, so he's up to <laughs> 20, 21 games, I think, for him. Oh, yeah, they won 5-0 over the Kings. I think he scored their fourth goal or yep. something like that. Yeah, an unassisted slapper. Yep. So, yeah. So, you know, pretty good company there for Kaprizov. But, um, you know, it's been power to play goals. It's been tying goals. It's been timely goals. Um, you know, he's really just stepped up. You know, it, <laughs> Russo wrote the article. You know, part of it might be, you know, he had his family, girlfriend in town. You know, maybe a little bit, you know, mentally you're just in a better place going into those games. But, you know. Mm-hmm. There really hasn't been a stretch this season where Kaprizov disappeared necessarily. No. Like there, you know, I think there was a, maybe a stretch there where he had like a p- one point or one goal in like a five-game stretch. But like outside of that, I mean, he just hasn't missed a beat. I don't know what – I'd have to go back and look at what his pace is now for 82 games. But um, I think he's well on his way to over 50 goals, over 100 points, all that good stuff. So um, Kirill continuing to be Kirill. Well, and I think the – you know, we talked about the Anaheim game. That was – the example for me, like obviously late in third, it was him basically just saying, you know, enough of this, enough of this crap. We're gonna go win this game now, and you know, uh, even though they didn't win an overtime or shootout, he was, you know, kind of close to winning regulation after tying it, and you know, just, just that. I mean, obviously he's had to carry the offense a lot more this year with Fiala gone and just their lack of scoring, but there's been a lot of those. 
you know, it's not, you know, he's just, you know, a lot of times he's been carrying the team and especially games like that where he just, you know, says enough and you know pretty much that he's, I mean, obviously he's on a six game goal streak, but it just feels like every night that you expect him to have a big night and, you know, you, you just know that he's going to because, you know, he's that good and, uh, but, and yeah, obviously he's been on a heater here the last month and has really helped them escape a lot of games they probably shouldn't have. But it's, yeah, yeah nothing nothing else to add, really, because we've talked about this a hundred times in the last few years. <laughs> yeah, so. and I might be going down a rabbit hole here, but <clears throat> uh, before I do, he's on pace for 108 points, uh, 56 goals, 52 assists. Uh, pretty damn good. Uh, that would be, you know, your bold prediction of the uh, 50-goal season. Um, anyways, um yeah, I mean, going back to when we were all wondering if he was even going to sign here back in Russia, and even a couple of these off seasons, you're like, oh man, people are worried about you know certain things going on, mm-hmm. and you see him, you know, all this hype around him, and he comes here, and you have high expectations for him, and he just blows those expectations out of the water. It's uh, so amazing to have a franchise player like this, and I know we've said this probably countless times on the show, but. To have a guy like Kaprizov who can make an impact night in and night out, you know, a, a guy that should be top five heart, in my opinion, with, you know, kind of the team that's around him. We're not a Absolutely. bad team, but you see some of these other heart winner guys that have a lot better uh, teammates around them. Uh, nothing against, you know, the Wild, but we know how they're built right now. Um, just the impact he has for this team. He's, he's by far the team's MVP and, and a big reason why we're sitting where we are this season. One of the other things I, I did want to talk about here, um, one of the wild players I feel like is kind of out on an island right now, and that's Matt Boldy. Um, he's had some points and stuff. I feel like the majority of those have come through the power play. Um, but, you know, we saw Matt Boldy get off to a really good start this year. We've seen him go through some hot and cold stretches, and right now it just feels like he's on an island playing with Nick Patan and Freddie Goudreau. Um, Nick Patan in his own right, he's a fine tweener guy, a guy you can throw in the lineup when you need one, but by no means is this guy a, a top six forward. Freddie Goudreau, I think we've exasperated our thoughts on that at this point. He's a yeah. fine player. He's an NHL player, probably better suited for a defensive third, fourth line type role. Not so much, you know, a supporting, um, you know, member on a scoring line. It feels like Matt Boley every night is trying to make plays, trying to do things and just... You know, whether it's, you know, whiffing on a shot or something, just he needs something. Um, and it's hard to, you know, I think getting Ryan Hartman back would be great. You know, you can get Hartman on that right wing with Goudreau and Boldy. Maybe that's something better. But I think if you're the wild at this point, you got to figure something out. Obviously, you're not breaking up the grief line. You're not going to break up your top line, which is playing well. You're not going to break up Dewar and Shaw, which means you're not going to put Reeves there. So it's just kind of the odd man out with, with Patan going there. But if it were me, I think this would be a point where I look back into Iowa and I bring up a guy like Adam Beckman. Um, you know, a guy whose name of his game is offense, is shooting. Will he be better than Patan, like, holistically? Maybe not, but I think he just has a little bit more of that that offensive mind to him, which, you know, it might just be the little bit that Boldy needs. I thought when Beckman was called up, I mean, granted, kind of in limited ice time, I thought he looked good. I thought he looked fine. Like, he didn't look out of place by any means. And I, Justin, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's been playing pretty well in Iowa as of late, putting up some points and stuff. Um, but to me, it just feels like they got to do something to to try to get Boldy going. Um, 
and I don't necessarily think it's his fault. Like I said, I just I don't think he has the support he needs to be productive. It was much like we saw Fiala last year before mm-hmm. Bully arrived. Yeah, I was gonna bring up the whole Fiala thing where it feels like he's just getting these these you know, line mates after line mate that are just, you know, not suited for him. Uh he's trying, you know, maybe gripping a stick too hard, uh whiffing on some of those shots. I mean, he's still on pace for sixty points, thirty goals, thirty assists, but uh, we need to get him some better line mates. Um, by the way, uh, Beckman is having a good season, 12 points in 18 games in Iowa. Um, it seems like he's doing better than last year. I think he has some better line mates than he did last year. He's not with, like, Baddock and and and, uh, and um, Cody McLeod. But, um, yeah, I, I just – we need to find someone else for, to go around him, whether it's, you know, Rossi and Beckman or um, – I don't know. It, it just – like you said, Patan, Goodrell, they're fine, bottom six, but uh, we need to find some better players throwing the top six with Boldy because it's it, – yeah, like you said, he seems like he's on an island. Yeah, I think – well, I, you know, I I guess I personally think that if he's going to get any help, it'll be if they eventually find out a way to pull off some sort of trade because it just seems that, you know, like I talked about, Dean loves Goudreau. He's probably going to be on a line with him most of the year. You're not breaking up the grief line. You know, Dewar or Shav looked good with either, you know, Reeves or Duhame or whatnot on that line. So, you know, I think, unfortunately, I think, it, you know, I would think it, he's going to be kind of on an island until they can get some exterior, external help. But, you know, hopefully they figure out something other than Nick Patan because, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't he, like you said, he's fine, but, he, you know, he does some things well. He's not going to hurt you necessarily when he's on the ice, but, you just, I just don't get why he's, you know, playing on your second line technically and and being on your power play with some of these guys. It just doesn't really, it doesn't really help anybody. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's an issue. But hopefully, uh, hopefully they can figure it out soon and uh, you know, to hopefully give the team a second dimension of scoring rather than just the one line again. Yeah, and like the one thing that's still kind of like in my head like it definitely feels like right now the wild need to make a trade but to Uh me it all just kind of depends on ryan hartman right like because if you go out and you bring in a top six forward like what happens once everyone's healthy again i'm you know when that's Duhame, Uh when that's hartman because like now i think that would basically put you at 15 forwards when they're all back, right? Like, Steele's been good on that first line, so, like, do you mess it up and put Hartman back there, hope you can reignite that lightning in a bottle from last year? And then, you know, if, if Steele gets moved now, you know, is, is he going with Boldy and this newly brought in forward? That's probably what I would do, but we know Dean ain't going to put Freddie Goudreau on the fourth line. So then now are you bumping Sam Steele down to the fourth line to play with Short or, you know, Dewar and Shaw? Or, like, now if you're doing that, now you're bumping out you know, Reeves or um, Duhame from the picture. And, like, you know, is that Sam Steele's role? Is that where he's effective in the fourth line? But at the same time, like, what would he have done other than the team getting healthy to warrant, you know, going from first line center to the press box? Like, what kind of message does that send to him? So, like, I don't know. There's just, like, a lot of, like, moving parts to me. And it's just, like, obviously it's a thought exercise that is kind of worthless because you don't know what the what the status is in Hartman. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds like he's skating on his own and – Maybe isn't close, but maybe isn't far. But I don't know, just something to kind of consider, I guess. Well, I mean, you know, like you said, he, who knows if he? I think Russo had said that he has a 
whatever's injury is something they're trying to rehab naturally rather than having surgery. Yeah. So, which leads itself to, you know, maybe not being, you know, obviously if he comes back, he'll be stays back. But like you said, especially considering that, you know, who knows, you know, if he's going to have to miss a game here and there, you know, Greenway has been hurt in and out getting banged up a lot. So it's, you know, it's, uh, it's <clears throat> uncertainty, but it's, you know, that would be a, it's it's uncertain. Mm-hmm. Um, well, speaking of getting healthy, one player that could be back as soon as tomorrow, aka today, Friday, when you're listening to this, um, is Jonas Brodine. Um, been out for about a week. I think it's a lower body or upper some upper lower body injury. Um, sounds like he was close. Um, yesterday, I think he fully practiced. So getting close to return um but it kind of begs the question of who's going to come out of the lineup when he comes back in you know before the injury it was Alex Goligoski in the press box he gets pulled in you know for his 1000th game and then there was the Brodine injury the first time and there was a game where they dressed seven defensemen and like Goligoski really hasn't come out of the lineup you know yep. for one reason or another since um since that 1000th game uh recognition and then on top of that, he's played well. I know we just talked about the unbelievable game he had against Anaheim. It seems like him and Dunbar are starting to find some chemistry. So what I wonder now, you know, and I talked about this, I don't think John Merrill has looked particularly good lately. I mean, I think he has two two-point games, like his last three or four games, which, like, yeah, that's great. But, you know, I think they're both, like, you know, I think mm-hmm. – three of those points might be like secondary assists like there was the one I think it was last night his first assist he chipped the puck off the boards and then you know Connor Dewar Mason Shaw did the rest of the work flew down the ice on a 2-1-1 buried the goal like that's sort of you know that's an assist for Merrill but like I don't think you know that wasn't a huge part of that play right like it's you know just worked out for him and we saw earlier in the year Brodeen and Addison work well together so in my mind you know, maybe you can spread out your wealth on the blue line a little bit. You continue with Middleton, Spurgeon, Goligoski, Dumba, um, and you have Brodine Addison. Now you kind of have, you know, maybe not like a le- – I'm not going to say Middleton and Spurgeon or Brodine and Dumba aren't a legitimate top pair, but you have probably three defensive pairings now that are a, a number two pairing on every single team in the league probably. Like you have six good defense and you can roll. That's what I would do. Um, the only thing maybe the Wild look at is I know they like the ruggedness that Merrill quote-unquote brings, but – to me, there's just been too many mental lapses on defensive coverage. There's been some bad penalties he's taken the last couple of games. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. Bergen's coming back in the lineup. Addison's just too valuable, I think, to that top power play unit to take him out of the lineup. Yes. Um, and like I said, I think I think Galagoski has earned the spot right now over Merrill. And at the same time, too, it seems Galagoski can be more effective when you are limiting his reps. So I'm curious to see what they do. I would take Merrill out. I don't know if you guys are in the same boat or not. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I'd take Merrill out. Like you said, he's kind of had, even with the points, some some rough moments. Um, probably swap guys in and out and, and give certain guys, like, you know, Goligoski's a little bit up there in age, even though he's playing well. Like you said, you know, when he's getting a little more rest, sometimes he's a little more effective. So um, I I think this, you know, with seven healthy d- defensemen, this gives you the opportunity to, you know, rest guys uh night here and there and kind of ride the hot hands of who's playing well. And, um, yeah, you know, like, most of these guys aren't coming out of the lineup like Brody and Spurgeon, Middleton, Dumba. Um, so you're just going to have to kind of swap guys around, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's tough. I, I agree with you. Not much more to add. Uh, 
I, I agree on Golgoski staying in, and obviously, like you're saying, he's earned that opportunity to play a little bit over the past weeks. And Brett, like you said, obviously, they do seem to want to, you know, take a conservative approach, I guess, with his playing. You know, after he kind of, you know, last year after being so good for about half the season, kind of fell off. So, uh, you know, I suppose it's possible, but I just, you know, I, I agree with you guys. I think logically, you would keep him in and take Merrill out. But you know, he said we'll see. Yeah, and in that situation where you guys be with me, where you'd put Brodine with Addison, or would you reunite Brodine Dumba and then have Goligoski Addison as your third pairing? I I don't know. I feel I would do the uh, I would leave the, the Dumba and uh, Goligoski together and have Brodine and Addison together because uh, would it change if good? I reminded you that they're playing McDavid? Oh well, yeah. Then that's that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm curious with yeah. you. Like I. Like, I didn't even think about that when I was talking about before. I was like, ah, like, do you want Kaelin Addison playing a ton of minutes against Connor McDavid? Okay. I don't know. Maybe. Are we, Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Are we home or away? <laughs> That's my next away. question. We're in Edmonton. We're away, tomorrow. so we don't have the opportunity to match the Eck lineup and Brody in with McDavid. Yeah. I mean, I'd almost start with Addison, Brody, in, and, and if things look like they're going kind of array, uh, put um, – uh, what the parent you just said before? Sorry, I'm kind of blank. <laughs> no, I'll good. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I agree because I mean, he, you know, I think Addison could skate well and he could maybe keep up, but I guess you could say at the same time if he's out there to defend, he's not really doing, you know, what he's out there to do, which is move the puck and play offensively. So, you know, I, you know that that could be possible where they go, but I guess I'm not I'm not too sure on that either. Yeah, and then the uh, the final thing that I did want to talk about here before we kind of, you know, talk about some theoreticals, take a look a week ahead, it's just how good the fourth line has been mm-hmm. these last couple games. Like, basically since Reeves was put on the fourth line, you know, a couple shoddy games, you know, the one against Edmonton wasn't great. Um, but since then, these last three games, they had a goal against Anaheim. That came from Dewar. Um and then against Dallas, you know, we talked about Reeves had two assists. Connor Dewar had a goal in that game. Granted, it wasn't necessarily when this line was on the ice, all three together. Um, but the guys on that line in the last night, of course, um, Connor Dewar has a goal, uh, two assists in that one. Mason Shaw has a goal and an assist in that one. Ryan Reeves had another good night, you know, on ice, expected goals, all that stuff. Like, that fourth line is really, like, seemingly has found a groove and, you know, I think no one's pumped the tires more on Connor Dewar and Mason Shaw, I think, than this podcast. Um, we've been pumping the Connor Dewar tires since the middle of the season last year. Um, you know, I not to toot my own horn, but I was like, yeah, this guy needs to be in the lineup every night. He needs to be on the penalty kill. Um, and then the Wild didn't play him in the playoffs, and then they played him in the playoffs, and then he looked good and, hmm, weird. And now he's, you know, maybe coming in this season, like, due to injuries out of camp, like, made the roster – you know, got in the lineup, but like to me at this point, him and him and Shaw have played to the point where like you can't take either of these two guys out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, and they just, I think the other thing on top of that is just the chemistry that those two mm-hmm. seem to have. Great friends off the ice. I think they're living together in Goligoski's townhome now or something in like Northeast Minneapolis or something or North Loop or something like that. Probably not Northeast Minneapolis. Um, in the North Loop. Um. Like, these guys have some chemistry, and they play with speed. They play with ruggedness. They've been phenomenal in the PK. They have, I think, is Connor Dewar, he have two or three shorthanded goals this year. 
I feel like it was at least two. <laughs> it's at least two when he had the crossbar. <laughs> he had that mm-hmm. crossbar breakaway against Edmonton um, on Thursday last week. Like, they just bring so much, and I think, you know, it's felt like it's been a while since the Wild have had a really, really good fourth line that, like, when they're on the ice, you're not kind of holding your breath because, you know, are these guys going to score every night the way they have right now? Like, you know, someone on that line's had a point in, like, three straight games. No, that's probably not the case. But when you have the confidence to roll that line between, you know, giving those guys 10 to 12 minutes of ice time a game instead of, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the six, seven, eight that you usually get. Um, it's been just great. I, I just, I've loved the way they play. I, I love Connor Dewar. I love Mason Shaw. Reeves has been, you know, more or less a pleasant surprise. We'll see mm-hmm. if that continues or not. Um, still going to bite my tongue because I don't want to get too hopeful, but um, I'd like to, you know, eat my words on that. Like I said with Deloria last year and in the end, I, that, that all proved right, but we'll see. But, you know, I just think that lines look great. Um, I yeah. really just love what they've brought every night. I, I think that is a uh, part of the reason why I went on a four game win streak. Yeah. The Calgary game was kind of rough, but you know, the first line, you know, they're going to get theirs, but when you've got this secondary scoring, like they're bringing, you know, Normally they're going to grind it out, kill penalties, uh, come out, uh, lay a couple hits, and, and you know bring the energy. But when they're we're getting guys getting a couple points out of that line a night, it's you know that that helps bode well to pick up Ws because it's not on just the top line or the top two lines, or you know not on just Kaprizov and Boldy to try and score. You're getting you know Shaw scoring a goal and Doer, and then you know Greenway chips in, and you know, like you said, Reeves picks up a couple assists. It's just um, that's how streak start is, is that secondary scoring. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, I think the, I mean, every, obviously because you've been, you said pretty much everything is to say, but I mean, I think the difference is like, you know, I've talked about before. They're not just guys on the fourth line either. Cause a lot mm-hmm. of teams in NHL in the wild of the past, you know, they just have guys like, you know, Daniel Winnick or Eric fair or guys like that who, you know, are NHL players or even like Nick Patan, but you know, they don't really, bring much they might not hurt you they might be okay defensively in their own zone decent two-way players but you know like uh, i mean like brett explained it perfectly but you know doer and shaw they they bring more i mean i think it was i think they were talking on the broadcast but night how it seems that you know it's not actually true but you, you mentioned connor doer shorthand breakaway it seems like you know they have a shorthanded scoring chance pretty much every game and that's just because you know like they mentioned the way that they skate and are always pretty much playing hard the entire time and, you know, that just lends itself, you know, when you work that hard, uh, it lends itself to upside. And, I mean, it's not maybe saying much, but, you know, Mason Shaw, like Justin kind of mentioned, is six on the team in scoring with 10 points in 20 games right now. And, obviously, it's not going to continue, but <laughs> that's, that's not so something crazy. you saw coming. Okay. <laughs> be here, so. I, don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> well, it's good for him, maybe not good for the team. What is he, how many points does he have? 10 points? Yeah, 10 and 20. In how many games? Uh, 20 games. 20 games. So he's on pace for 41, of 82 game season of 41 points. That's not bad at all. I mean, like you said, that probably won't hold true in the, the year, but like, that's great for Mason Schaub. Like, the fact that your sixth highest point getter is a guy who's played 20 games and has 10 points, mm-hmm. uh, not yeah. ideal. Um, but, you know, maybe it speaks to the depth. You know, <laughs> um, the other piece that we wanted to talk about here, real quick. Um, because it's been the hot topic of wild Twitter. Um, if you're a listener of Worst Seats in the House, Russo also pretty much squashed this. 
but wanted to weigh in a little bit with our thoughts and opinions here before we uh, put this to bed for the rest of time. Um, and that is the Brock Besser saga that is um, currently unfolding um, in Vancouver, like very close to being a healthy scratch um, because he's been playing well. And then he doesn't be scratched because a player gets sick, like right before puck drop, there's stuff coming out as agents been per- given permission to ask for trades. The wild have been in the market for a top six forward. It seems like the perfect storm bring Brock home, but Here's the issue, and you know this is also the issue of why the Wild couldn't re-sign and extend Kevin Fiala. Um, I'll start with this way. So Brock Besser, I believe, just signed an extension this year, um, and then it goes two more years beyond this. I believe it's six point six five million a mm-hmm. year. Um, the Wild coming out of this year have a projected cap hit of 15.572 million which like seems like a lot of money um and then you have to consider that you have nine current nhl players on that have played games this year for the wild on expiring deals including matt boldy who's gonna need a pretty significant raise bridge deal um or not like it's probably gonna cost you between you know probably at least five million to resign boldy Matt Dumbo, who we know is probably not coming back. Kalen Addison's going to need a raise over his, like, 880000 he's making right now. Sam Steele, do you bring him back? Maybe maybe you do, maybe you don't. Um, Freddie Goudreau, probably coming back. Um, Philip Gustafson, probably coming back. Brandon Duhine, maybe. Mason Shaw, I think, has, you know, become a Dean Evason favorite, a fan favorite, a team favorite. Hard to believe he wouldn't be back. Um, and then Ryan Reeves, you know, as of now, is he back? Probably not, but things shake out differently throughout the year. He could potentially be back. Um, Joseph Cramarosa, Andre Suster, among other tweeners, AHLers that need new contracts, they likely don't factor in the cap hit. Um, but all this is to say, like like I said, Boldy's bridge deal probably comes in around $5 million. They have $10 million left to re-sign who I think would be Addison, Goudreau, Gustafson, and Shaw. So there's four players right there, ten million sets, two and a half million a piece. You can pay those guys, and that would be assuming you don't give a contract to one of Duhamer Steele. If you give it to both of them, now you're down to one point six seven million a player. If you give it to one of them, now you're down to two million for each player. At which point, where the heck do you fit in six point six seven million in there for Brock Besser? You don't. Even if you retain, even if you get Vancouver to retain half of that and gets you down to whatever that would be three point three two five or something like that like even then you're still like you have to cut somebody else like it just doesn't work um if it was a one-year deal it probably works but um you know it, it, as awesome as it would be to bring Brock Besser home you know I just don't think he's a stylistic fit he doesn't really play that two-way game that the wild covet so much he has struggled a little bit recently with injuries um, that contracts a lot of money, and it just it doesn't work for him. It won't work for probably any other player with term and a cap hit that's north of probably $3 million. Yeah, and I also read that uh, Vancouver Canucks don't want to retain salary. Uh, they don't want a sweetener. They'll you know, take less, a little bit less, I thought I read. Um, that just doesn't work with us. Uh, like you said, uh, where are we going to get the money, especially, you know, we all know cap hell the next two years are going to be the worst two years of it all. Yeah. Um, and all of that was accounting for a $1 million cap hit bump from this year. Now, if that maybe goes up to 4 million, 
Now, maybe you can make right. it work, but I don't think that's something that Bill Guerin can bank on when he makes a yeah. midseason trade. Right. You can't bank on what ifs. You got to know, you know, can mm-hmm. we afford him for sure or not? It's not like, a, uh, what if we get the cap goes up by $4 million or whatever? It, it just, I don't see it working. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, you know, not much sad, but it's just a symptom again of their cap problems. And like, you know, we talked about last year when they went all in at the, trade deadline a bit that they weren't just really going to be able to do that, uh, you know, to that same extent for a few years now. And this is just a, you know, pretty much a perfect example of that, but uh, you know, it is too bad. Cause I don't think, cause I think if they had, like you said, but if it was a year less than his deal, you know, especially at the price that, you know, it's supposedly not going to be too high on him, you know, you know, would definitely, it was definitely an interesting thought at least to banter about, you know, on the, Twitter and on the message boards and all that. But yeah, no, it's like you said, it's not going to happen. So yeah. yeah. And this, the same conversation holds true for like Bo Horvat or any other player that needs an extension or has terms. So, yeah. um, a name that I would watch is Anthony Duclair. Um, and mm-hmm. I believe he's still with Florida. I think they're going to have some cap trouble as, as guys return from injuries here. Um, a guy that's played in the top six has put up good numbers. Like to me, like kind of, the, you know, a guy that'd be a good fit with Boldy can shoot, can pass. I think he's on an expiring deal around like three, three and a half million. Like that's more of the archetype of player that this team's going to have to look at. Um, and your cost to acquire him is probably not going to be ridiculously unreasonable. It might cost you a mid round pick, maybe a, a lower end, you know, B ish, B, B plus tier prospect. Like I don't see it you know, costing you the sun and the moon to acquire a guy like that necessarily. So just wanted to put that to bed, put that to rest. Um, yeah. So it, it, cool idea in theory. There's just, there's literally no way to make the money work unless you trade out somebody else, which I, at this point, like the guys that are under contract are under contract for a reason. They're not going anywhere. So, all right. And then just to wrap up here, um, just looking at the week ahead, I think we've already kind of alluded to tomorrow night's game, uh, the Wild on the road in Edmonton, hopefully getting uh, Jonas Brodine back for that one. Um, the first of back-to-backs, um, Edmonton tomorrow night, 8 p.m. puck drop. Um, and then they follow that up with Vancouver um, on Saturday, 9 p.m. Um, just talked about kind of the shambles that they're in right now. Um, and then Edmonton again for the third time in 12 days on Monday, off day on Tuesday, and then um, home again uh, against the Detroit Red Wings on Wednesday. Um, so we'll probably be back again Thursday next week with our next show. But, you know, tw- two games against Edmonton, we just saw, you know, the recipe for success to beat that team, I think, on Friday. Um, that was have Jewel Erickson-Neck be great, win the special teams battle, um, and take advantage their, of their bottom six with your bottom six, um, and it leads to success. So anything else beyond those two Edmonton games, anything you guys want to hit on with either Vancouver um, or Detroit? Uh, no, not really. Just, <clears throat> I mean, these are games that we, you know, winnable games for us, especially if we can shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl like we have uh, in the past. Uh, you know, Detroit... Didn't they beat us earlier in the season? Yes, yeah, that was a yeah. yeah a game. Philip Gustin played yeah, really well while this right. scored. Um, Lucas Raymond ended up scoring a couple goals, I think. But um, no, uh, just I feel like these are games that uh, we could come away with, you know, six out of eight points. Uh, obviously, you want to take them all, but you know, depending on how we how we play, I, I think uh, it's a good week to pick up some points. 
yeah, no, just not much to add. Just uh, you know, rebound. Uh, you know, obviously that loss to Calgary the other night, just won a game, but you know, it's ended their four-game winning streak. So, you know, as you guys said, just a good opportunity to win a few games. You know, like especially against Edmonton, a team you've played really well against in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you know after this, uh, you know, little Western Canada road trip, they'll get you know three home games again next week against you know kind of some more winnable opponents. So it, uh, you know, again, like we talked about before, just just look, just more consistency is just mm-hmm. what we really want out of this team. Yeah, and I think we're seeing everyone start to get healthy. We're starting to see the lines kind of starting to finally figure themselves out a little bit. So, yeah. um, you know, like we said, grief lines back. Top line seems to be intact. Top four D should be back. Um, once Brodeen is back, we'll see if they mix up the pairings at all or if they reunite Brodeen and Dumba. Um, we'll find out probably tomorrow during the morning skate. Um, but yeah, you know, like you said, like you said, some winnable games coming up. I mean, these aren't teams that pop up on the schedule and you're like, oh shit, don't want to play those guys. Um, mm-hmm. you know, these are teams with similar records, similar places. Um, you know, storylines, obviously guy watch Caprice off, kind of see if he's going to extend, you know, goals and points, yeah. you know, a goal extends both streaks, but an assist still extends one. So, uh, he's been fun to watch, and you know we'll see what happens. You know, anytime you get to watch McDavid and Drysaitel and and Kaprizov playing the same game, that that's always a treat. So and things could sure. be worse. We could be the Avalanche right now, who's like, um, like I think they have like nine guys injured. Like four of their yeah. top six forwards are out right now. Yeah. Like it's uh, they're they're in a rough spot. Hate to see it. Um, and I do mean that sincerely because <clears throat> like when guys like McKinnon and Landis mm-hmm. and these talented players are out, it, it's, it's not fun for the game when, when the best players in the world aren't playing, but, um, the wild are currently ahead of the avalanche in the standing. So if you think the world is crashing down around you, just remember like the wild aren't the only team going through, you know, their trials and tribulations this year. It happens to every team. I think we've talked about that on this show. So, um, and we've seen what can happen when they find a groove. I think it's four of their last five, six out of their last eight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're what their streaks are right now. So some much better hockey is of late. Um, just great to see. So four games before we come at you next time. Uh, any other thoughts here from you guys before we uh, wrap it up? No, not off the top of my head. No, nothing this week. Zeke. Yeah, no, no, but not much new. Just, uh, you know, again, like you said, hopefully, uh, uh, you know, enjoy the next week and hopefully we'll talk back and, you know, a couple more wins here next time. So, All right. Well, Justin, why don't you remind everyone where they can find you and all of your work? Uh, you can find me at DEAST2004. You can find me at CapriceOfC with the CapriceOf Countdown. And you can find me at MNW Prospects with MNW Young Guns. And Zeke? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Zeke uh, Boyat uh, with capital Z and capital B, or you can uh, check me there for all my thoughts on hockey, et cetera. If you want to find me, uh, you can find me there. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at B underscore Marsh 92. Be sure you are following the podcast account as well, both on Twitter and Instagram at sound the foghorn, all one word, Edmonton, Vancouver, Detroit and Edmonton a second time. Not in that order. I messed up that order. But those are the next four games for the Wild. Uh, We'll be back with you again next Thursday night. So another Friday morning show in your feeds next week. Uh, But until then, this has been another episode of Sound the Podcast.